2: What's up, you guys? I've got a special bonus show for you today here on the Top Rope Nation main feed. It's actually a podcast we recorded three years ago, but it's going to be brand new for probably 90% of you here on the main feed. More on that in just a second. If you're wondering when you can hear from myself, Justin, and Kyle next, we are going to go live immediately after AEW Dynamite Grand Slam this wednesday night on our youtube channel video stream and all we'd like to have a great crowd so if you want to join us live wednesday night subscribe to the youtube channel link here in the podcast description and then of course that will also drop in podcast form right here in the main feed immediately afterwards so what do i have for you today as i said it's a special bonus release here on the main feed this came out for our patreon supporters Three years ago, this show was recorded in 2019. It's an edition of Top Rope Nation Classics, our monthly bonus show we do for Patreon. So back in September of 2019, we looked back at the WCW Nitro debut episode from the Mall of America over Labor Day weekend, September 1995 this is an awesome show if you have never heard it i think you're going to enjoy it if you like it and you want to hear more of these top rope nation classics bonus shows subscribe to the patreon feed the link is here in the broadcast description we've got almost 100 bonus shows only available on patreon so again if you like this one this special top rope nation classics freebie episode There's plenty more where this came from. Check out the link in the broadcast description and we'll be talking to you on Wednesday night. Enjoy.
0: I walk
2: through the valley of the shadow of death I take a look at my life and realize there's nothing left Cause I've been blasting and laughing so long
0: that Even my mama thinks that my mind is gone but I ain't never crossed Hey guys, this
2: is the sixth sorry, edition of the Top Rope, Rope, Rope Nation Rope, Classics podcast up, Here exclusively I'm on Patreon I am Ryan Droste of Top Rope Nation And I am joined here by my usual co-host both Justin and Kyle this month, for a look back at wrestling history. And we thought there was no better time to kind of take a look back at the genesis of the Monday Night Wars than this week, because as we record this, it's Tuesday evening, October 1st, 2019. And tomorrow night, All Elite Wrestling presents their first edition of Dynamite on TNT Head to Head. With WWNXT, so if if it's the theme, so uh, why not look back at the very first edition of WCW Monday Nitro, 1995, September 4th, uh, Labor Day. So uh, we're all we're all going to talk about, you know, where we were in our lives in 1995. We're going to get in the time machine. We're going to go back to the show itself. We're going to look at all the matches, all the segments that aired on the show. Um, As always, if you want to hear this entire show and the entire back catalog of all the Top Rope Nation classics podcasts, check out Patreon.com slash Top Rope Nation. You can become a member of the Patreon page for just 5 bucks a month. It gets exclusive access to... Top Rope Nation Classics as well as Top Rope Nation Extra. And uh, this month, until October 31st, we've brought back our free t-shirt deal. We last did this back in June. If you sign up for the $5 tier, try it out for a month. We'll send you a free Top Rope Nation t-shirt, courtesy of Pro Wrestling Tees, in the mail. It's a hell of a deal. You can check out this full show if you're listening to the 10-minute preview right now on our usual feed. You can check out our Backlash 2002 uh, Top Rope Nation classic show that we did last month, WCW Super Brawl 2, Bash at the Beach 96, and a few others, as well as all of those Top Rope Nation extra podcasts where we review the pay-per-views from this year within the first 24 hours after they air. So check it out, patreon.com slash Top Rope Nation. Kyle, you're feeling a little under the weather, but uh, got to give you props. You jumped on here. You're, you're with the microphone in hand. We're here on Skype recording. And uh, How you doing tonight? Good thing the
3: doctor prescribed more classic wrestling for me. Said, so go home, watch more old school wrestling. You'll be
2: okay. <laughs> it does a body good. Mm-hmm. We're, we're glad to have you. I mean, Kyle, you were kind of like the uh, the chief historian on this show. One of the uh, brightest wrestling minds I have ever known. The memory that this man has for classic professional wrestling. Always look forward to doing these shows yeah. with you, sir. Um, yeah, I'm not going to lie either.
3: I also swiped all the drugs he had when he wasn't looking. Yeah. So. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it helps with your memory. Mm-hmm. Uh, Justin Joint also on Despite the line. what you're told. <laughs> yeah. Justin, you were not with us last month for our classic show when we Kyle and myself did Backlash two thousand two. So good to have you back on the line as we look back at nineteen ninety five. How are things going with you this week?
1: Good. Uh, survived another tornado watch here in Iowa, so uh, I'm feeling confident, feeling strong.
2: This is so bizarre. It seems like it's always when the nights we're recording podcasts, like crazy weather is happening outside. I know we did a show a couple of years ago where, like, I put the effect of a tornado siren in the background because we were under <laughs> a tornado watch, and it was again tonight the same thing. So, luckily, that's passed and we're ready to so go. So
3: do you guys like spend half of your days like in the hallway like assuming the position or do they still not do that for tornado drills? It's been a long time since in school? <laughs> just in life Oh, in Iowa. Do you guys just like go in your hallways and like get on all fours and put your hands over your back your um, is that, Well, is that, she... is that life in Iowa or no? I
1: I'm not the usual Iowan. I'm actually scared of tornadoes. Uh, I would say most Iowans uh, go outside and look
2: for it. Ooh, that is true. I've never actually seen one in person, and I hope to keep it that way, but there have been some around the area. I just did not actually see them with my own two eyes. So let's look back at 1995 here. Uh, we always kind of start these shows just talking about where we were with our wrestling fandom at the time, and uh, so Kyle, to throw it to you first, what was going on? In wrestling for you in 1995. Well, it's kind of funny because to go back to the last uh, episode of classics we did,
3: Backlash Show Two, I had mentioned that my interest in this great sport was really waning at that time, and there had been only one other time previous that that had happened, and sure enough, it was 1995. Uh, But this got me back. The Monday Night Wars got me back into it. You know, by '95. You know, I always talk about, you know, the chatter at school, I feel, whenever we talk about these classic episodes. In 95, like, that, first, there was, like, none. Like, nobody was talking wrestling in 1995. I felt real isolated, like, in watching it. And I was just like, eh, whatever. And I, and I became disinterested. But I remember it was, like, math class or something. Like, somebody across the room mentioned, Hey, what about this WCW Nitro? And um, sure enough, you know, I, it, the Monday Night Wars reinvigorated me. Mm-hmm. It, it just goes to show and we'll talk about, you know, we're going to be making a lot of comparisons with AEW when appropriate. You know, doesn't matter where your product is at new t- Well, I guess it's, 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 this is not apples to apples, but you know, WWE is obviously changing its TV this week as well. You know, a new TV format can really heat up a promotion. Yeah. And <laughs> it needs to be said the first half of 1995 WCW, is complete dog shit i mean it's bad i mean uh, my buddy chad and i we always would sometimes like go over our tape collection and like see is there any like significant holes like in terms of time periods in the collection and man the first half of 95 there ain't much that we had on tape and, and for good
2: reason yeah Uh, So, you would have been what, like a freshman, sophomore in high school? I'm trying to remember what year you graduated. Yeah, I was a sophomore in high school. So, you graduated in 98? I graduated in 98. Yeah, I graduated in 98. Sophomore. Okay. What about you, Mr. Joint?
1: I was uh, beginning my freshman year in high school. uh, I was 100% out on professional wrestling. It wouldn't be until WrestleMania 12, which would be on the horizon at this point. Um, but yeah, no, I was, I was all about music and movies. Like I'd recently got into, uh, typo negatives, bloody kisses albums, and I had a cassette single of, uh, seals kiss by a rose, which I watched a lot. (laughs) Um, but you know, it it was, it was a big, uh, month coming up for me because I would go to, uh. To Wong Fu, Thanks for Everything, Julie Newmore, and, and Assassins. And I went to both those movies in the theater just to make out with my girlfriend at the time. And we made out the entire time. And uh, as far as go this get show, you some. Yeah, well, you know, speaking of which,
3: uh, it was were either. They, were what, they bloody kisses, by the way?
1: <laughs> no, they're oh. loud, sloppy, gross teenager kisses. Uh, it, it was, and I'll tell you what. This first nitro, it was days, if not weeks, if not maybe a month before Justin Joint touched his
2: first boob. (laughs) This is the content that patrons incredible stuff right there. True story. There's always mentions like this on our classic shows, guys. You want to hear the rest? Check out the archive. I love it.
3: By the way, black number one is a great fucking song.
1: Amen. Christian woman, yes, please. they're actually they're october rust their next album that came out in 96 is top to bottom for me it's a fantastic album that i have to break out every fall
2: guys we're only a few years apart but man i'm gonna sound so much younger than you guys doing this and it's almost a little embarrassing but fall of 95 i was sixth grade so three years younger than you justin in school and four from kyle um I was kind of out on wrestling, too. I think Justin and I have a similar story. I kind of really jumped back in around the lead in to the Iron Man match. I think that I was kind of watching Nitro in that that fall, but I just don't really remember it clearly. I know my dad was watching it. I think he got hooked back into it with all the, all the classic stars in w c w that we had watched when I was a young kid and because I remember walking in and, and into like the living room and he would be watching it around this time. But I was not watching Nitro like appointment television, at least to like early 96, I don't think. Um, so, yeah, sixth grade, um, not a lot of social life going on for me at the time. <laughs> I was riding my so- bike to school. I was in the safety <laughs> patrol, I remember. Uh, my God. Yeah. When
3: did you start watching wrestling, Ryan?
2: Me? I feel like that. Yes. Mm, probably around my earliest memories are around like that eighty seven, eighty eight time period. Like oh, watching okay, my dad. Okay, yeah, okay, yeah.
3: For some reason, I had it like in my head that you didn't start watching till like ninety three, and I thought it was very odd that you would art you were already out.
2: Oh no, no, <laughs> that's actually about around the time when I kind of like stopped watching. Okay, so, yeah, okay, yeah, because it was like early in the raw era when I just kind of started tuning out, like ninety three, sure. ninety four, like sure. that that general time period. But uh, yeah, I. I always loved Bret Hart, and uh, that went back to him his days in the Hart Foundation as a little kid, and then the early run as champion, and then it kind of got out, and then yeah, the the Iron Man match and the build of that really sparked my interest, and then I think when Bret left, that really pulled me in because then I was watching like week after week, wanting him to come back, and then I got like I was just waiting and waiting. It seemed like all of '96 for Bret to come back, so um, yeah, that's that's really when I got back into it hardcore and never missed a show. But, yeah, 95, I w- it was just starting to come back. Like, I may have watched some of those fall of 95 shows, but uh, it's just not clear uh, I mean, at the time.
3: I mean, just to kind of echo your guys' sentiments, 95 is by far the coldest year for the big two. Uh, yeah. Up until the, this Monday Night Wars really just reinvigorates things. I mean, there is uh, – I would love to hear an argument from someone not named Eric Bischoff or Vince McMahon, that ECW was not the best North American promotion in 1995. No, I think that's probably accurate for sure. Yeah, I mean because of, I mean you know you've got you have the Hogan loving going on on this channel and on the other
2: channel you have you know Diesel's
3: disgraceful title run.
2: <laughs> yeah, there there wasn't a lot happening to bring fans back until this moment in time. And, and for me, you know, I've mentioned this before on shows, and I and I know that we've all
3: said, like, early 90s, we were sporadic WCW watchers at best. I always tried watching when I could, but the issue was it was on, like, Saturday nights only. And I would be, like, doing something on Saturday night. So I, I wouldn't always watch it. But here, it was, you know, I always watched wrestling on Monday nights. Yeah. It was, like, established. So, like, it really... You know, there was always that talk. Oh, is this going to splinter the audience? Was this going to do to the audience? For me, it was an easy way to start following WCW every single week.
2: Mm-hmm. Funny you should say that because that actually just jogged a memory for me. I do ra- remember around this time period, uh, one of my best friends that I would hang out with. He had the sweetest setup in his basement. So his dad was a doctor around here, so they had they had like the the projector set up when nobody had projectors. You know, in ninety five, I didn't know anyone else that had a projector. Projector, surround sound. It was like the projector that would come out of the ceiling kind of thing. And I remember being over there on the weekends and watching Saturday night a few times. Like, it just scrolling through the channels and him stopping on that and us watching. And I I remember, you know, watching Surfer Sting, this era. So, it it was some time in there. But, yeah, I I was not watching each and every week. Not until a couple months after this. And then I was, yeah, I was full bore back into it. So, um what was going on in 95 in general? We usually kind of just throw these stats out there to bring everyone back. Of course, in 1995, Bill Clinton was the president. Al Gore was the vice president. And the best picture that year at the Oscars, guys, sometimes I've, I've been doing this for our, our shows, and sometimes the movies don't age real well, but, man, Forrest Gump, that is still a fantastic movie. I don't know when the last time you guys saw it was, but that is an all-time great movie. One best picture in 95.
3: Do I start a fight? You don't like Forrest Gump? It's a fucking travesty at one over Pulp Fiction.
2: Well, Pulp Fiction is a good movie too. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I was legitimately <laughs> mad.
3: You know how people get mad about Ross some weeks, like irrationally, and you're like, "Settle down, dude." Yeah, that is the way I behaved at the 1995 Oscars.
2: <laughs> I could see either of them win it, but man, Forrest Gump. It is. It's a great movie. It holds up. Anytime it's on TV, I still watch it. Um, the Super Bowl that year was not a great one. I do distinctly remember watching this one. I had just gotten back from an AAU basketball game and uh turned on San Francisco and San Diego 49 26. This was the era of San Francisco winning, by the way. This is the era where the Super Bowls just typically were never close. I looked it up, San Francisco went in an eighteen and a half and a half point favorite. To that yes, Super Bowl. the largest favorite <laughs> ever, and it's one of one of uh
3: only a couple times ever the books didn't come out so good on the Super Bowl little information for you interesting
2: yeah it was it was not because, a close one though
3: because the public all wanted to you know they wanted to bet the favorite and the favorite you know <laughs> that San Diego team was as bad as any team that's ever made a Super Bowl so mm-hmm. you
2: know the public actually was right for once yeah uh A couple months before this NBA Finals, the Rockets swept the Orlando Magic. I remember being devastated. Michael Jordan come back that spring, and the Bulls lost to the Magic in the playoffs. However, we got a pretty good Bulls season that was about to start up in the fall of 95. But uh, the Rockets were the reigning champions. In the Stanley Cup that year, a couple months earlier, the New Jersey Devils swept the Detroit Red Wings. So we had two sweeps in the NBA and the NHL Finals. Um, And then one month after Nitro debuted in 95, the World Series had the Atlanta Braves finally winning a World Series (laughs) over Kyle's Cleveland Indians four games to two. Do-do-do-do. Memories of that one, Kyle? Strike zone was very large for Atlanta pitchers. (laughs) Quite a set of pitchers they had that decade, though.
3: Uh, Yeah, about as large as King Mabel's ass.
2: Uh. Speaking of asses, a gallon of gas, $1. fifteen at the pump. Ask gas, or grass. Median household income in the United States, $34,000 per year. Half the country is doing better than that. Half was doing worse. An average new home would cost you $158,000 in 1995. And the number one song, you guys heard it in the intro this week, In 1995, who can forget this one, Gangsta's Paradise by Coolio. Dangerous Minds. What do you think of that movie, guys?
1: I loved Weird Al's take on that song.
2: I did, too.
3: Uh, Very interesting, too, because do you know what ECW's September 1995 show was called?
1: Amish Paradise?
3: (laughs) It was not called Amish Paradise. It was Gangsta's Paradise, featuring what many feel. It's just off that was the best ECW match ever Raven and Stevie Richards against the pitbulls uh,
2: yeah I've man that has been a long time man that's what I would probably have to it, yeah I don't know how much it holds up you know
3: and and I know a lot of people have gotten to see like fan cam stuff and but like that was like always the consensus best ECW match for for years just because um you know, Fonzie gets choke slammed by nine one one, and there's just a lot goes on.
2: So, Rey Mysterio and Psychosis also on that show. Yeah, yeah. Was, ECW was kicking ass. Oh yeah. That All right, guys. Well, that set the stage. That's where we were. That's where the world was in '95. So let's step into the time machine. Let's go back to September Monday, September fourth, nineteen ninety five.
0: your monday nights and get ready for the major league of professional wrestling wcw monday nitro comes to turner network television monday september 4th
2: So we are at the Mall of America, Minneapolis, Minnesota, for this first edition of WCW Nitro. <laughs> Got to say, pretty unique venue. Um, yep. Have you guys been there? The time? I have been there. You you went there on your Midwest trip through Iowa and Minnesota, didn't you, Kyle? Yes, I did. What was, was your impressions?
3: Uh, I, of course, because it's me, spent the majority of the time uh, looking uh, for some sort of write-up that, about the first Nitro there. And I did find it in the elevator. There were some quick facts there that had oh, mentioned nice. Nitro in the elevator, yeah. And I was also then, um, my daughter was very young at the time, just a uh, couple months old, I think. Was she one years old in a couple months. Like, who whatever. She was really young. And I was just like so thankful that she wasn't older because I was like, my God, what a money pit this would be if she was older.
2: <laughs> yeah, I haven't been there with my kids, but uh, I've been there several times myself. You, Justin? Uh,
1: I think once a long time ago, I actually, I, it was a lot, it was, uh, I bought a, they had little stands where you could buy the kind of like the, the VHS tape trading, just random wrestling stuff. And I found one about all of, uh, the Hardy brothers, uh, yes. Hardy boys, yeah. independent I, stuff. So I, I bought that. I Whoa. borrowed that from
2: you at one point in time, that tape. I do remember that. That's funny. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, I, I mean, growing up in the Midwest, I guess everywhere in the United States, but everyone always heard about the Mall of America. You know, it was this big thing in the 90s. Malls were still big, <laughs> unlike today, and uh, not not physically big, but like popular. This one was physically big. The biggest mall in the country. It was a huge deal when it opened, and uh, I didn't get to it until a few years after this, but uh, I, you'll like this one, Kyle. The first time I ever went to a Hooters restaurant was in that mall. Oh, Very memorable outing. Surprise! The Me Too movement hasn't claimed Hooters. I had that discussion with my wife in the car the other day. It's true. Yeah, I mean, Twin Peaks—that's another one. Yeah. Um. Yeah. The <laughs> Mall of America, though, it's it's an interesting place. It's still a cool place to go. I think. Um. Did you pinpoint while you were there the spot where the ring was set up? No, and I was obsessing over it to the annoyance of my wife. I've never <laughs> been able to figure it out either when I've been. Yeah. There. Well, exactly.
3: I mean, well, watching the show back, what was it like? The Great train company was obviously like right there where everyone was walking out. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know. I just I couldn't really think I, I think, you know, at one point I did kind of see I think I don't know, I saw a sketch or something.
2: All the stores um, are different now, so it's kinda of yeah, hard to tell. Yeah. That's true. That's also true. But, but there, um, there's different intersections in them all they all like they look similar. So it's kinda yeah. hard to tell.
3: Yeah. But the to your original point, it's not something I would do every week or no. most weeks. Or more than once in a blue moon, but it was definitely a unique feel mm-hmm. and kind of cool. I mean, it was, you know, seeing, you know, you're watching a match and look to your left and there's, you know, a bunch of people going up an escalator. Yeah. don't see that every day.
2: Yeah. And yeah, as we were talking about in text before the show, this this uh, this first week of Nitro, was a one-hour show. It was unopposed by Raw that week. Raw was off for the, uh, was it the U.S. Open, Kyle? Yes, tennis, U.S. Yeah. US Open. So, it was a, it was a good night to debut for Nitro. They ended up doing a bigger rating than they thought they would. Um, we're going to get into the matches here in a second, but of course, what everyone remembers is that it was the night Lex Luger debuted with, or returned, I should say, to WCW. Uh not as many talk about Scott Norton also coming <laughs> out that night, but uh that that was also a thing. We'll get to that later in the show. But uh let's just start off with the intro I and mean, that that WCW Nitro intro with the exploding buildings and stuff really an iconic intro i always <laughs> thought it was great i always thought it was better than Raw's. personally probably until 97 or 98 oh, um, interesting to note on that intro though is one of the people you see in it i don't know if you guys noted that watching yes. this vader
3: oh oh you caught this yeah. oh yeah vader a... never
2: appeared on nitro
3: <laughs> well yeah do you want to go first? Because that was like, I like an alarm. Just what I'm like. I was just not really. I was like, okay, here we go. Nitro. All right, here we. Go. I'm like, oh, it's Vader. I'm like, I forgot he was still in the company when Nitro started.
2: Yeah, and I I don't remember as much of the backstory. Like, I kind of looked into it a little bit um, in in the show prep here, but it. Yeah, this was around the time when he had the dispute with the company, and it kind of stemmed from this brawl he got in with Paul Orndorff at a. Yeah, and he- a the brawl pre- he lost. Yeah. Against Paul Lord. How tough is Paul, Mr. Wonderful Yeah. And this was like the previous week, like the previous Wednesday um, at center stage in Atlanta at television tapings. They had booked Vader into like some long-term stories that I think ended up not airing. Um, well, people forget this. He had turned babyface
3: and was going to be on Hogan's team in war games against the dungeon of doom.
2: Yeah, that's right.
3: And, and and this whole fight situation and them 86ing him out of the company, that really created the need. I mean, if you read Meltzer and The Observer, created the need to bring Luger in because they were kind of in a hole. Mm-hmm. They, they, like Vader was on his way out, and well, they need to get a fourth guy, and they didn't want it to be somebody
2: lame, so and Luger kind of fell into their lap. So wasn't Vader though wasn't he gonna wrestle Hogan on the second nitro? So wasn't
3: he? Was yeah, I was confused by that. So I, I read The Observer, too, and, and Meltzer talked about that. But I was they're like, oh, yeah, they're going to set up a Hogan-Vader match. Um, you know, they wind up setting up a—spoiler alert— they wind up setting up a Hogan-Luger match for the second Nitro. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wait a minute. Vader is absolutely on Hogan's War Games team. So I don't know. You know, and obviously Luger winds up being anyway. But I, I don't know how that would have worked. but Because Vader had definitely turned— baby, They had filmed the vignettes— with and these are i guess they're pretty humorous to watch in retrospect like hogan savage sting and vader preparing to go to war air quotes Mm -hmm. and vader was doing like moon was doing moonsaults off a wall (laughs) and they even like they even showed something late in the show that there was like um oh what was the segment they showed it was they were uh they were it was for uh muscular dystrophy like mm-hmm. later in this night episode. And they showed the four of them together yeah. as the babyface team. So, yeah, that, that threw me for a loop. I I, I did not remember, you know, Meltzer was speculating it was going to be Hogan and Vader in week two. And I and for me, I was like, wait a minute. They were teammates in war games. They yeah. are supposed to be. So, yeah, I was a little confused there. But the bottom line is, yeah, Vader being in the show caught my eye as well.
2: Brian Trump. Okay, so Justin, real quick, your thoughts on the, the opening and just what you always <laughs> thought of the opening and then I want to transition and keep it with you on um, the announcing because we were texting before the show and uh, some criticisms are due for the announce crew here on this first Nitro and uh just wanted to get your take on the announcing and if you always talk about your superpower of being able to block out commentary, <laughs> if uh, if that existed for you watching this Nitro, go ahead.
1: So I'm with you guys. Love the intro. It, it It's aged very nicely considering how long ago this, you know, took place and how little they needed to change it throughout the years of Nitro. Um, I was a little worried when this show
2: started and
1: Mongo is really bad off the bat. Um, <laughs> but how dare I will you say, talk
2: that way about an 85 bear? <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, but my superpower did kick in while I was watching it, and I, I was able to block him out. God bless you. I don't know if I could tell you a single quote since, you know, you was oh. talking about the apropos and digging in the ground or whatever that
2: crap is. Oh, was.
3: I've got a few. I wrote them all about. I, there was a point because I, I, I've i seen I knew it was going to happen. I was actually just waiting for Mongo quotes.
2: <laughs> what is with his uh, – that little – was it a chihuahua? He yeah. was holding and it's like dressed up like the devil, but this it's not Halloween season yet. It's kinda weird. I he he always had
3: him for yeah, I so think his weird. whole run, I, I think even like in a ninety six, like he had that damn dog. But he him. didn't
2: always have it dressed up like the devil, right? I no don't recall no. that
3: you know what though, I think he always did have it dressed up though.
2: That's so weird. A lot. Yeah, very weird. Um I think I might vaguely have that superpower that you have, Justin, because as the show got going, I don't recall a lot of what he said either, but he was not good, Kyle. Well,
3: let's talk about the first thing that your boy number 76 drops this first job. (laughs) So Bischoff introduces him. And in my notes when I'm watching the show, originally, the first time I wrote down, what the fuck was that first thing Mongo just said? So I had to look – I went back and replayed it, and here is the exact quote. Here is Steve Mongo McMichael's uh, TV debut for professional wrestling. Quote, this place is apropos, and that don't mean you're digging around the dirt with farm implements, baby. Yeah. <laughs> Which Bischoff, of course, sells like a quick douche. Uh, and then – all right, I'm going to defend Mongo a little bit before we go all in on All right. Bischoff, if you notice, quote, welcomes him to the big leagues. Did you catch that one? Mm -hmm. Okay, remember this. People may have forgotten. Mongo, earlier in 1995, was on WWF television as part of LT's All-Pro Team. Mm -hmm. And, furthermore, not only was he a part of that All-Pro Team, he was the one chosen to do kind of a quasi-angle with Kama on Raw. Mongo had actually commentated I think just a single match on Raw and he got into this brawl with Kama so it's easy to rip on Mongo he is terrible on this show and was terrible his entire run as a commentator which thankfully ended in uh, June of 96 but the WWE obviously saw something in him too Mm. by giving him that angle
2: yeah I mean wrestling's always kind of Moved towards real world sports stars if they can get them, you know. Mm-hmm. And yeah, Steve McMichael was one of the great D linemen of the 80s and uh, you know, multiple time all pro super bowl champion, all that great football player, but uh, in the ring and in announcing, not the best, not the greatest.
3: I've always said this <laughs> and I'll admit it, I loved his horseman turn when he turned on Kevin Green. Mm-hmm. Uh, the problem was that he. It, it was like, it was just so well executed. Then the problem was he was a horseman. <laughs> yeah. Kind of like, and it just, it, like he had some good tags with Chris Redacted, but other than that, it just, and the whole thing got overshadowed the next month by the NWO. So, mm. um, yeah. What do we think of Bischoff calling his own number as the play by play man here? Cause he was not <laughs> the top play by play guy in mm-hmm. the company before this. It was Tony Schiavone. um, thoughts there that the right call i
2: probably would have went with shivani i think he's better but uh i don't i don't think he was too bad i mean bischoff always had a good he he was he was a good look for tv you know what i mean like yeah he's a good looking guy He looks good on camera he's the kendall so i can understand it a little bit but uh he's not as good as shivani but i always thought he was passable as an announcer what were your impressions justin
1: What is this broadcasting thing you guys are talking about?
2: (laughs) Never noticed him. Don't
3: don't know what he said. You know, I think the big thing for me is Nitro was Bischoff's vision slash baby. So I can see why he would call his own number. Mm -hmm. He he did get completely insufferable with knocking raw. Yeah. Like, you know, I mean, it was the next week, the first week that we go head to head that he delivered the famous He beats the big guy with three super kicks in reference to the taped Shawn Michaels Sid match, which to be honest with you, now that I say it is actually somewhat amusing, (laughs) but like he, he got really insufferable with not knocking WWF and where the big boys play. We're going to hear that about a hundred times in this hour. Um, But it was his baby. It was his vision. So I could see why he, uh, you know, made himself the play by play guy. But of course, you know, he kind of went away the same time Mongo did, you know, that early summer of 96.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So. So the the show itself, it's got three matches. It's a really quick watch. If you guys want to pull it up on the WWE networks. about 45 minutes when you take out the commercial. So you can get through this thing really quickly. And my thought, I guess, just watching it and uh, looking back at the card is that, you know, it kind of seems like they didn't really go. Everyone remembers the the debuts, like the surprise Luger appearance and everything, but as far as the matches they booked for the show, to me it felt like a really safe show because when you look at the three matches, so you've got you got Pillman and Liger. Now Liger wasn't a regular in WCW or anything, but obviously they had to worked together. You guys can go back and listen to our classic show on Super Brawl Two, one of Justin's all-time favorite matches. We break that one down, um, and then you know you got sting and flair who work constantly together so that's a safe match and then in the main event you got hogan and uh big bubba aka the big boss man who had a, a long history together working a lot of matches in the wwf as well so it, it seems to me like the matches they put together was it was just like a really safe card did you guys have that impression at all when you looked at the matches that were booked kyle by god uh have you uh tapped into my super secret notes
3: here on the show. No, okay, I didn't but, you know, in addition, in <laughs> addition to, No, I know, because these parts work, because I, I actually wanted to make a big point about this and sound real smart. Um, so I actually <laughs> omitted this in the one I sent to you. Uh, co- comfort level, familiarity was a running theme for me yeah. with these three matches. I mean, Pillman Liger, y- you mentioned Super Bowl too. they know each other well. Um, although it had been a couple of years since they'd worked. Flair and Sting, I mean, come on. They know a thing or two about working on the Turner Networks against each other. And, yeah, you know, Big Bubba, is big boss man, was one of Hogan's, you know, great. You know, I mean, after the obvious picks of, like, Andre Savage Piper, you know, boss man's probably a top five drawing Hogan opponent in WWF.
2: They worked a Saturday night's main event cage match uh, just a few hours south in the great state of Iowa in 1989 in Des Moines, in fact.
3: Oh, that was in Des Moines. Right Right.
2: down I-35, yep. Yeah. Do you know that they worked a, they were doing like double shots uh, on the
3: house shows in that feud. That's uh, crazy. Wow. Yeah. Like new, they did New York and Boston the same day in March. I was just astounded by that Jesus, up one. Time. That is insane. Yeah,
2: Justin, did you have the same kind of thought watching this? Did that cross your mind at all? The comfort matches?
1: Yeah, absolutely. They certainly didn't try and take any chances and they, uh, I think they kind of they wanted to roll out the, the classic WCW match with Sting and Flair, and you know in a way you pointed out that you know a classic WWF match with Hogan and Bossman, and then, um you know maybe something for what today we'd call the AEW fans with uh, Pillman and Liger.
2: Yeah,
3: And you know having that comfort level from here is probably pretty important for your first live show. Mm-hmm. You know because remember going live. You know, WCW had done it with Clash of Champions, so it's not like this is their first time ever going live, but, you know, you want the matches to be tight, especially, I mean, you're doing three featured matches in an
2: hour. Well, Andrew's trying to set the tone where next week you want people to tune in versus tuning into Raw, right? You want to present a good product.
3: Yes, exactly. So you want guys who are familiar with each other. There's not going to be mistakes in the ring, so... Yeah, I I absolutely agree with that move, whether that was done intentionally or just by coincidence.
2: um, My guess it was the former or tip of the cap to Eric Bischoff. Yeah. So with Pillman and Liger heading out right away, I think uh, they were trying to set the tone, have a match that people were talking about. I mean, even by 95. Uh, that that Super Bowl two match from three years earlier—that's one people were talking about. Uh, it was so different for '92 with with Liger and Pillman. Again, look it up in our archives where we talk about it on classic Super Bowl two. But uh, you know, this one much different. They only have about seven minutes to work together. Um, I felt like it got off to a little bit of a shaky start. There's some botches early on. There's a moment when Liger. Goes to the top rope and it seems like Pillman's kind of waiting forever for him to backflip. I think I think Liger was injured around this time too, so that may may have uh, played into it a little bit. Um, and then there's kind of like a botched head scissors spot, but they they go back to it later in the match and then they hit it. So in my notes, I just said that it started slow, it started cooking a little bit late. Um, all in all, I mean it's it doesn't hold a candle to to the Super Bowl match, obviously, but uh, I mean it's a decent. Opener, uh, what was your take on this one? I'll go. I'll go first to Justin, since Pillman and Liger has often been a discussion point amongst us.
1: Yeah, I, I noticed the uh, two things you pointed out was Pillman waiting for Liger to do something off the top rope and that the the awkward head scissors. Um, it just it, it didn't have the magic and the chemistry wasn't quite there like it was in '92 and and it's not surprising when you only get. Six minutes, not that you can't have a good match in six minutes, but uh, uh, they just weren't able to recapture that magic.
2: Yeah. Ross, Mr.
3: Ross. You know, for 95, they packed a lot in that you didn't get this kind of match all the time mm. on wrestling television. And, you know, a, a key component of these early nitros really, and you know, as the show got going was featuring, quote-unquote, cruiserweight matches or, quote-unquote, young talent, uh, at least in one of the matches. You know, later on, we're going to see a vignette for Sabu, who debuted the following week. Um, I think if you're looking to deep dive at all on early nitros and and find probably the best example uh, of a kind of introducing the masses to international talent, you'll want to look at the Benoit Guerrero matches um Mm -hmm. from october i mean i remember watching those like a year or so ago and like this announced team is obviously quite horrible but like even they could not help but to get over the impressiveness of those so you know that was key And, and again pillman and liger one thing that helps this match and makes it stand out is when you compare it to the other two matches on the show Mm-hmm. And the, st- the style they're working, yes, they botched a couple things. Uh, yes, it was not anywhere close to Super Brawl 2. But it was very different from what you would see on the rest of the show. And they always try to isolate one match on these early nights that was like that. You know, Raw these days, you know, that's just not the case. The prelim guys and the main eventers work too similar a style. I complain about this all the time. You get to a Seth Rollins match, and you're like, hey, I saw Buddy Murphy do this two hours ago.
2: Mm hmm.
3: And, you know, when you talk about AEW, Cody and Sammy Guevara, they're up first. Will they be able to stand out? Something to keep in mind um, as we move forward.
2: Interesting to note, we were talking about the commentary uh, in The Observer, his review of the show. Dave writes, in a match like this, the announcers being out of date with what would be contemporary worldwide style, perhaps futuristic U.S. style, showed as the hot moves that were used for near falls were described by such names as in, quote, Oh, my gosh, quote, a tremendous move and, quote, an aerial attack by Bischoff. So, well, <laughs> let's talk about Mongo and some of his gems because I got them
3: down. Um, he, he gets it right going right off the bat with a Ginsu knife reference uh, to Jushin Liger when he comes out. That's real classy. <laughs> uh, then he also later in the match calls Bobby Heenan Bobby the Stain. And Bobby hernia.
2: <laughs> Bobby hernia is really bad.
3: <laughs> it kind of like when he said it to he like, I think he was hoping to come up with something better because <laughs> he just kind of trail off. He's like, Bobby hernia. Like he even knew it, Bob. It was awful.
2: Oh. It
3: was awful. Uh, not the worst thing on this show, by the way, in terms of speaking. I'm a little shocked, by the way, that your boy, you know, obviously. You talked about how much you revered him on the football field, Ryan. Little shocked Bischoff didn't make the NFL connection with Pillman. Yeah, for Bongo's benefit, like give him something to work with instead of you know making Ginsu knife references to the Japanese guy for fuck's sake.
2: <laughs> That's bad. Yeah, so Pillman pinned him. Um, it's, Liger goes for a German suplex. Pillman rolls him up for the clean victory. Very short, decent. Nothing great, but uh, I guess you know if you're watching this show, it's not one you would fast-forward through because the show's pretty pretty short, worth the watch. I mean, it's Pillman and Liger, but uh, if you want to see a, a classic, watch the Super Bowl match.
3: And Brian was, of course, just weeks away from his heel turn, which would completely transform his career and lead to the Loose Cannon character. Yeah. yeah. I, I did not like Brian Pillman, the California Brian gimmick at all. No, like it, I, I was reminded of it by that theme. Oh, that was a bad theme. The mm-hmm. California Bright. Oh, that was
2: bad. Yeah. All right. So that's the first match. After that, Kyle, <laughs> we go to oh, a boy. segment taped with Hulk Hogan. And I completely <laughs> forgot about this, but the, uh, the restaurant or the fast food place he had in the Mall of America called Pasta Mania. In my notes, I just wrote Pasta Mania question mark and then the Kyle. Oh no, this was <laughs> this was real bad. In fact, my wife, who is from Minnesota, was watching this part of the show with me, and I and she used to go like back to school shopping at the Mall of America like every single year so I, I asked her do you remember pasta mania there and she had no recollection of that whatsoever uh, well, I went on a business ad on Tuesday yeah probably <laughs> your thoughts on this Kyle
3: <laughs> this segment makes the commentary of Steve Mongo McMichael look like Martin Luther King's I have a dream speech by comparison <laughs> oh, this Look, I do not have the TV listings for September 4th, 1995, the complete TV listings, what was all on that night on cable. I find it very hard to believe that this interview with Hulk Hogan was not the worst thing that aired on television that night. This was anus! <laughs> this was so bad. I'm sitting here like, like I mean, this was my like apex of hating Hulk Hogan this period. Like, from this through... Um, basically when he left television in early 96. Mm-hmm. And, like, the whole thing about, like, how he's just so desperate to look like people like him, and you have fucking Bischoff, like, laughing at everything he says, which makes it so much worse. It's like Michael Cole laughing at bad jokes on Raw, except, like, somehow worse. Mm. <laughs> it, this was, like, it, it just... Hogan was so desperate during this period to, like, just... Everyone loves me. Everyone still loves me, and you know, just having like the, you know, the audience like he he was doing this interview while he's surrounded by this mass of children who was obviously herded into being there. It, it this this was so bad, and and pasta maybe I'd love to see the uh,
2: financials for this because <laughs> it didn't last uh in fact the uh the t v listings for that night I just pulled up on my computer was was nitro on at seven or or I'm going central time what- what time eastern was that on when it was one hour I don't remember was it on at nine or eight eastern I'm trying to remember I think it was nine okay so the Monday night football game that night was the Cowboys and Giants, which the Cowboys won thirty five to zero but that wouldn't have started until Nine. That was, that
3: was at nine. Remember, Monday night football used to not start till nine. They yeah. they bumped it up.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That was nine Eastern. Uh. So at eight Eastern, you had the Marshall on ABC, the Nanny on CBS, the X Files on Fox, and the Fresh Prince of Bel Air on NBC. So uh, that's that's what was going at least on uh on the network channels. That's what was it going was, on. It was all better than this segment. Yeah. <laughs> Justin, what would you think of Pasta Mania? I don't know. I'd probably eat there. I like spaghetti. <laughs> Give me fazolis, man. Give me fazolis <laughs> over this.
1: No, the the uh that segment was trash. It was so bad. and He could barely get a reaction out of those kids and you could all, yeah, you could definitely see the desperation
3: in Hogan's eyes. Yeah. I mean, this makes Sbarro look like world-class cuisine, man. Come on now. <laughs> Pasta media? <laughs>
2: really awful really awful hey, stuff yeah.
1: Kyle I think I you know I was looking up pasta mania where you guys were talking and I think I found a shirt if I if I got the shirt for you Kyle would you wear it
3: oh, yes I do it just <laughs> Why do not? it Why not? I'm married I got nothing to live for <laughs> <laughs> it
1: could it could be your special Italian oh. food night shirt
2: yes, there oh, we go yes I love this <laughs> um all right, so after this, <laughs> Pasta Mania just couldn't be topped. But we had a flares thing. Can you, you imagine?
3: And I mean, like, did they think that was cool? I mean, God bless them. I mean, we know that this show goes on. I mean, spoiler alert: the show goes on to have a pretty damn good run for several years. But can you Like, can you imagine something like this airing on television now with Twitter? No. I mean, it would be ridiculed. Like. I, like, nothing else. I mean, I don't even know if people would know what to say.
2: I'm pretty sure. Don't they have a uh, section on Pastamania on on WrestleCrap? They yes. Rest, yes
3: WrestleCrap did have a I think it might have been, like, its the first ever entry.
2: Yeah. It's really bad. It's real, real bad. I'd be curious to know how long Pastamania actually lasted in the Mall of America. In fact, I was Googling here trying to— uh, figure it out but uh i can't seem to find the answer <laughs> probably it was it
1: was less than a year after it opened I, I was googling it too and i found a uh food network article of the 14 worst celebrity <laughs> food fails and pasta pasta mania was number one and it, it's <laughs> pasta, incredible. Yeah, was it, pasta it, mania closed down less than a year after it opened who and was they it compared the- it to chef boy rd which is
2: outrageous <laughs> i love chef boy rd they're mentioning like in the lead-up to this, I can't remember which announcer said it, but like, oh, Michael Jordan has a steakhouse in Chicago and Hulk Hogan has, in Minneapolis, Pasta Mania. It's like, oh, God.
3: <laughs> oh, my God, break. I forgot to say that. Yeah. I, by the way, Mike Ditka's a huge tool. Speak, we're
2: talking about the 85 Bears. I went to a steakhouse <laughs> in Chicago. That was pretty good. I've always wanted to go there, but I've walked past it, but I've never been there. Yeah. Um. Okay, so then we get to... Flair Sting, like we said, I mean they've they've wrestled constantly over the years. It seems like a safe match with two of your biggest stars to put in. I thought I had watching this because I know we talked about this on the show. I think maybe on the Super Bowl show, and I mentioned, uh, God, I love that later Sting theme song, the man called Sting that he comes out to here. I thought that was a great theme song. I think you guys disagreed with me, but I love it. Yeah, it's gross. I like it. I love that. I like Man Called Sting. Yeah, I know we talked about it at one point. I can't remember when it was. I but... like I like his other theme too. Like I don't I I think it was
3: comparing it to his theme in the early 90s. I kind of like that early 90s one too, but Man Called Sting was fine. I mean, by early to mid 90s WCW theme standards. I mean, it was, you know, freaking Tomorrow Never Knows by the Beatles. <laughs> I liked it.
2: I thought the guitar at the beginning was catchy, but uh Justin, your thoughts on that comment?
1: <laughs> I, I think that comment sums it up perfectly. <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, all right, so the match itself is decent. I thought, um, you know, it, it doesn't get a lot of time to develop, similar to the first one, because we're talking about a one-hour-long show here. Uh, but the match goes 11:31, according to the Observer. I felt like Dave was a little harsh on Sting here in his review. He says, "Quote: Flair worked really hard while Sting was just there for the spots." Well, I don't know. Oh,
3: Rick must have been feeding him some info that week or well, something. Well,
2: we know, but yeah, Dave and Flair were were tight over the years. I thought that was that was a just little excited. Just Rick being Rick. Yeah, but uh, I yeah I don't I didn't think the match is anything oh. to write home about. Of course, what everyone talks about is right as it begins. Lex Luger walks out now. Just from knowing Kyle Ross, and we haven't even talked about this. I'm sure you deep dived into the history about Luger's contract and WWF and everything. Um, the basics that I know is that Luger had worked the house show circuit that weekend for WWF, including the night before and somewhere in Canada, I believe. And uh, they
3: loved running Eastern Canada during this time period. WWF.
2: Yeah. So I guess he was Nobody working without Nova, a deal. More, ever. <laughs> it's true. But is this, isn't this the fact he was working without a deal, which is mind-blowing that WWF would have allowed that to happen? Uh, they had offers on the table, I think, for him, uh, but he worked out the deal to come back to WCW, and as the Monday Night Wars start, I mean, this is the, the big thing everyone points to. I mean, I think in the lead-up to AEW tomorrow night, everyone's talking about, is there going to be a big surprise? Is there going to be the Luger moment on this first AEW? You know, something that shocks the wrestling world. Uh, Anything you have to add, Kyle, on the Lex Luger appearance?
3: No, not really, other than I guess he had told Vince, oh, no, I'm with you, I'm with you. You know what he he had kept just sort of slyly, and to his credit, kind of like pushing back the, oh, I'll sign it. Like, I guess he had, like, done some sort of handshake commitment to October, I guess is the way the story goes. Uh, And then, yeah, shows up. But, you know, we're man, you go back to this mid-90s time period, I want to choose my words carefully, but I feel like we're still kind of paying somewhat of a price. You know, the, some of these uncharacteristic mistakes Vince made during this era. Uh, what I mean by that is, you know, we guys stay around so long now, mm. you know, no one ever leaves them. And I feel like that it's, that goes back to Vince letting Hogan and Piper go too soon in retrospect. And them, like, having big runs for the competitor. Yeah. And, you know, here, you know, he would never do something like this now. And, and that's, I mean, to, to be fair, he shouldn't. I mean, this, this is a, a, a gaffe, the likes of which you rarely saw from Vince McMahon. Huh? I'm surprised that, that this could happen with yeah. Nitro uh, getting underway.
2: Yeah. Especially I mean, how I, hard they had pushed Luger for the you know the previous couple of years.
3: Well yeah, well what's funny, see, it's funny you said that and he had they had started to push him at the top again. And he certainly got the big push in 93 up to WrestleMania 10 when he's usurped by Brett. Mm-hmm. But like most of like you almost kind of forget Luger's ninety-five in WWF. Like he was teaming with Davy Boy Smith most of the year in that Allied Powers gimmick that mm-hmm. was nothing to write home about. So, um, yeah, it, it's a real head-scratcher that Vince would, you know, allow that to happen, not have him under contract. I guess just, you know, this kind of move was inconceivable Yeah, in 1995. Somebody just walking in, out onto the competition's television. Yeah, We just, had never seen anything like it.
2: Justin, do you have any memories of hearing about this for the first time, witnessing it for the first time, and this just kind of, you know— <laughs> Uh, being such a huge moment in the early days of the Monday Night Wars.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah, I wouldn't have heard about it until, you know, maybe they talked about it in the future. But I also gave zero shits about Luger during <laughs> my entire wrestling fandom, so mm-hmm. that didn't help matters. Yeah.
2: So the match also has a segment uh, later in the match where Aaron Anderson comes out, and uh, he and Flair had been feuding. Uh, it kind of makes you question whether he and Flair had kind of settled their differences and if he's there to to back up Flair in the match. And uh, what happens in the finish is that Flair gets the figure four locked in. He's using the ropes for leverage, and Anderson jumps into the ring, and we get this no-contest finish here. Really like Art and Rick's match at Fall Brawl. Really like that. A couple weeks you. after this, right? Yeah, yeah, that was
3: setting them up. I just... I think that match just is like historically underrated. No one ever talks about it. I really like. They did a great job building that up, and you know, obviously, it's the match where Brian Pillman turns heel. He helps Arn beat Flair, and um, it's of course a big ruse. The whole thing's a big ruse to sucker Sting in the following month and reform the Horsemen. But uh, yeah, I I, I really liked that match. Uh, As far as this, you kind of hit on this right. This was Flair versus Sting for beginners. It's kind of the cliff notes. They hit their trademark spots, but it was completely rushed overshadowed by the Luger debut. Uh, Fun fact, these two would wrestle on the final Nitro as well.
2: Mm, Yes, indeed. And
3: and as far as Luger's appearance, I've mentioned this, I think, randomly before on this program. But Bobby Heenan, you know, what's the big deal? It's a public mall. What a reaction. What a comment that is.
2: Bobby Heenan was always great in commentary. Meltzer's a little harsh on him in his review too, and I thought, I don't know.
3: Well, you know, I mean, I guess considering what he had to work with, it wasn't good, but Bobby, he quickly went. I mean, it's kind of funny in retrospect. I think there's a lot of vitriol directed towards Tony Schiavone during this period. Mm. And, I mean, him and Hina did not get along. They've made no secret about that. But, you know, I think watching, going back, you know, maybe Tony was the one being the pro when, you know, Bobby was, you know, not. Yeah. <laughs> At I times. But, like, it, it it got to a point where Bobby stopped caring and it, and you know for whatever reason, I mean, it showed. Well, he did. Yeah,
2: he did. He he definitely did. I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but I interviewed him in 2002. It's the first interview I ever did of a wrestler, and uh, yeah, he was very forthcoming that he, he and Shivani didn't get along, and he felt that Shivani would always keep him in the dark about stuff. He would kind of ask Tony what was what was planned for the show, and Tony would let him in on anything, and that that was one of the reasons they did get along and uh he i think the comment he made to me was like yeah tony yeah he wouldn't let you in on any, in, on anything everything i was always in the dark and nobody cared nobody knew what was going on and he eventually said something i'm paraphrasing to the effect of it got to the point where it was he collected his paycheck and he went home because uh there was no plan in place kind of thing sure and mongo of course we we can't
3: uh, go through a match up talking getting a quote from mongo this is unabashed arrogance was his remark when Lex Luger shows
2: up?
1: <laughs> that doesn't even Mon-
2: make sense.
3: Yeah.
1: Mongo should have done the old uh, hand buzzer trick on Luger <laughs> like he did with Heenan at the start of the show.
3: <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. That's right. He does do that. Jesus. B- Bischoff, was it a little too heavy handed? Get the camera off of him. Was yeah, I mean they like- really
2: they really are selling it's almost like the NWO before the NWO, you know, like he's yeah. a WWF guy showing up. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That would have worked better if he wasn't like standing in the, in the, entrance, the middle of the right?
2: entrance. Yeah. Yeah. So Anderson and Flair, they have a brawl, uh, brief brawl, and then out of nowhere comes, as I mentioned at the start of the show, Scott Norton. He gets up in McMichael's face. They're arguing, outruns Randy Savage to break it up. And they argue Savage gets in the ring. He asks, you know, he yells that they're going to have a match right then and there. Bischoff's not going to allow it. You know, it's not sanctioned for the show. And uh, they later announce that that match will happen next week. Your thoughts on the debut here of Scott Norton, Justin?
1: Go ahead and insert some cricket noises,
2: (laughs) Kyle, Scott Norton. Scott
3: Norton... I'd forgotten about this. Scott Norton's first several months in the company were so nondescript. I'm talking pre-Fire and Ice. I actually did not mind the Fire and Ice team with Ice Train. They had a good match with the Steiners, I think, at the Great American Mash. Um, the Savage-Norton match that takes place the following week, so I, it piqued my interest, uh, had one of the all-time shittiest finishes ever. That The Dungeon of Doom got involved and uh, Shark, as he was known at the time, John Tenta, like falls somehow in his brawl on Norton's legs and Savage hits him with the elbow and that's how it ends. Wow. That is, yeah, that's terrible. Yeah, I will say this though. Norton shows up, it feels kind of chaotic, a little different than TV wrestling that you're used to in 1995. A lot's happened, it feels, in the last 26 minutes. I don't know if we've conveyed that on the show, but it. I made sure to... You know, hit the pause button when he comes out, and I'm like, "How long are we into the show? We are at the 26 minute mark. It sure, you know, with the Luger debut, two matches. It, it felt like a lot had happened here. Mm-hmm. Oh, and and, pasta and, and mania, already, yeah, pasta mania, yeah. It just, you know, and that already you're kind of feeling things different. You know, it, it, this ain't your Saturday morning TV show, or, or even you know, a standard issue RAW.
2: Well, that's the other thing to emphasize. You know, if you weren't watching <sighs> wrestling at the time, television wrestling rarely had this many big stars on it at a time. Oh yeah,
3: I mean, we'll get to it in a bit. I mean, a, I mean, Hogan working this show in a title defense. You know, we we became accustomed to world title match, even though they're not they're pretty rare on TV now. But you know, that was you, you can't underscore just what a big deal that was. Hogan working TV. Uh, and defending the title because he didn't work Saturday night very often. Yeah. And obviously, he hardly ever worked weekend WWF television.
2: Yeah. So, they don't really mention who Scott Norton is for a while in this segment until, I guess, I think it was after it was over. But, uh, yeah, I think nondescript is a good term, Kyle, because uh, I don't recall much of Scott Norton in WCW before his run with the NWO, to be honest with you. Yeah. Fire and Ice is okay. Yeah. The match
3: really check the match of the Steiners is fun. Like they're they're a good uh, opposing team for the Steiners, you know, because like like big guys that, that they can suplex.
2: Yeah, that dynamic always worked well. That's that's a fun match. Mm-hmm. Um, and speaking of another guy who I don't really recall much about in WCW, Sabu. They aired a promo for Sabu after this. He had a very brief cup of coffee in WCW yeah. in the fall of '95 before. The ECW run here, but uh, the era promo for him, I just, I had like completely forgotten before watching this back that he even was in WCW during that time period. Not a lot to write home about. Um, there. We go back to Mean Gene. He's in the ring. He makes a joke about how much real estate he could have bought uh, 40 years earlier in Minnesota, apparently. <laughs> you know, a former AWA guy. And uh, they did a Harley Davidson giveaway at the time. They announced the guy. That's pretty much it. And they go to a WCW uh, Saturday night promo. Kyle, did you have something on Sabu?
3: No, I just wanted to say, yeah, There was they never got the contract stuff ironed out. And that, that's why he just winds up going back... To ECW, Hmm. um, you know, and then he feuds with Taz.
2: Yep. They go to a backstage uh, promo with uh, Michael Wall Street, the former uh, IRS slash Mike Rotunda, and uh, he has this line in there. It's it's another dig at the WWF. Oh yes. I don't get. I don't even know what this, this is supposed to mean. But he says, "Quote the new generation is nothing more than the few generation." And that's why he's in WCW. That is a terrible line. <laughs> just, uh. it, it's, it's basically,
3: how can we get him to make fun of the new generation? That's basically what that is. Oh, we'll just have him say, the few generations.
2: so bad. <laughs> he also made a reference to the IRS in this as well. Yeah, the IRS is going to be watching him. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yes. I don't know why. <laughs> it so doesn't this, make a lot of sense either. This is like a backstage filmed segment like WCW would do in that era a lot. Uh, you know, like back in the locker room kind of thing. It's not uh, not great. And then we get to the yeah. main event.
3: On the excitement level, I would say the polar opposite of Sabu. By the way, that vignette they showed for Sabu was kind of hard to watch. Too many, the many effects.
2: cuts?
3: Yeah, yeah, too many effects. Um, and, and for the for those keeping score at home, uh, Walt both – Wall Street and Sabu. Wall Street was renamed VK Wall Street, by the way, the following week a pot shot at McMahon. Uh, both he and Sabu lost the following week, though Sabu's was by DQ to Alex Wright. Uh, Wall Street just did a job to sting on Nitro the following week. So new characters losing early in their runs is not a new thing, apparently. Yep. Not exclusive <laughs> to
2: 2019 WWE. <laughs> so. We get to Hogan and Big Bubba Rogers, aka, like we said, the big boss man. Seven minute match Hogan uh, with the WCW title at the time. Jimmy Hart wearing the most 90s pants of all time. <laughs> the flag, all I mean, it's the colors, the flag, it, it's totally 90s like wind pants that you would remember from that era. Um, but in the end, Hogan does get the leg drop. He gets the pin. And afterwards, the Dungeon of Doom runs out to attack Hogan. And then we get Luger coming out to make the save. All right. Thoughts so far before we get to this Hogan and Luger face-off? Either of you, feel free to jump in.
3: Uh, Well, Mongo, I've got... This is my last Mongo quote. When Bubba comes out, his quote is, What part of the sticks is this guy from? I mean, you can't make this stuff up. I had to rewind. I was like, am I Andre? You know, I mean, you know, am I hallucinating? But no, I mean, Mongo, McMichael, everybody. Uh, The match was total paint-by-numbers, Hogan. I I thought, you know, it's funny. You talk about Dave being maybe a little too harsh on Sting, a little too harsh on some others in in his recap of the show. I thought he was too kind to this match. Yeah, I agree. Like, this was a total paint-by-numbers, Hogan. He was, you know, one of the most insufferable things about Hogan in this particular time period, he just was not selling anything. He did not want to look weak for anybody at any point. Um, And, you know, the dungeon of doom is probably. (sighs) Other than it's close with the heel group that was actually on the, the other show at the time, Ted DiBiase's corporation. God, those might be the two worst top heel groups of all time. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> like, Teddy DiBiase was just, like, so, like, kind of sad, the DiBiase thing. This was, like, so hokey, the Dungeon mm-hmm. of Doom. And, like, a, it's a couple weeks later when Hogan invades the Dungeon of Doom. Like, he actually goes into the dungeon itself.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you guys
3: remember this? Vaguely, it is the, yeah. It is one of the lowest, although Pasta Mania it's probably the worst thing to air on an early Nitro. Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, Your thoughts, Justin.
1: You know, granted it wasn't a long match, but uh, Hogan, you know, on the Mount Rushmore of great sweaters, just (laughs) that hair that hair was dry at the end of the match. It just took me out of it.
2: (laughs) Oh, that is a fantastic detail I would not have thought about. (laughs) That's that's why you pay, that's why we pay you the big bucks yeah. to be on the show. Oh I'm yeah, sure.
1: that that that's what stood out to me in that match. <laughs> uh
3: Th- these two did have really good matches in WWF. I mean, obviously everyone remembers the of its main event one they did, but if you check out the house shows, I mean, they did a trial run for that. They were doing that spot, the suplex spot mm-hmm. on all the house shows off the cage. Um to be honest with you, post 87 it's probably Hogan's best in ring stuff like I mean because he stopped trying in 87 like he just like didn't care anymore to like give effort in the ring but the matches with with boss man were good but this was a very paint by numbers Hogan affair
1: yeah what's your hey what's your favorite Hogan match of all time
3: that's a great
2: question and I don't have an answer for you. Right I'd, I'd say Mania 5, probably for me. Uh, I was a little disappointed by that. <laughs> he had, it would, probably would be like
3: something on the house shows. Um, you know what? Honestly, it might be the Warrior match. I know.
2: Yeah, that's up there.
3: It doesn't hold up on like on repeated viewing, but like he, you know, he really does try. He, he did try there because he was losing, of course. And he wanted to ape all the Warriors heat. Um, that mu- as far as like a TV match, that might be it. I, I would have to think of that's a great question. What is my favorite Hulk Hogan match?
2: Oh, We can come back to it. Yeah. What about yeah. you, Justin? Do you have one?
1: uh probably the warrior match at uh wrestlemania 6
2: yeah i think i'd rather watch the savage one just because i like savage a lot more than warrior but and the build to that match was so good but as far as like just judging it the match itself bell to bell they're pretty close for me but uh yeah that's that's such an iconic match that yeah that's an easy one to point to the matches, the thing with the Savage is I like
3: his, like, when Savage first comes into the company and they do their house show program, late 85, those matches are really good because Savage is still, like, just completely insane
2: at mm-hmm. that point.
3: And, like, and just, like, you know, Savage came into the Mania 5 match with a horrible staph infection, which is why he's got that huge bandage on his elbow. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, late God. The internet—if there had been an internet in 1985 when Randy Savage came to the WWF, it would have fucking exploded. Oh yeah, with the way this guy—he I mean, was just full speed ahead. God, that's a great question, Justin. Right,
1: hey, I, so, in the future, maybe in the coming weeks, deep dive of the week, you give us a uh, a deep, good Hogan match.
3: I'm gonna be interested. I, I'm gonna go through that. That's that is a—it's something I've honestly never thought of because I just like kind of like don't like him. <laughs> <laughs> so like like i always like if like wanted to i always wanted to tear him down so what is my favorite i wanted have to go oh baby we're gonna deep dive on some 86 house show stuff i have a
2: feeling <laughs> it's a good question i like it i'll be interested to hear that myself but uh as far as the end of the show goes as i mentioned and I'm, i want to read from a book here in a second um that we were talking about off air but again luger comes to the save and then uh, Luger and Hogan almost come to blows, and they go to commercial. And then this is where I want to throw in this story because I didn't know about this, and you probably didn't either, unless you've read this book, because this was all off camera. But uh, shout out to the this is the WCW Nitro book that Guy Evans put out, I think last year. It's a really yes. good book. Uh, it's over 500 pages on the history of WCW Nitro. It's super detailed. Uh, just looked it up now. You can pick it up on Amazon, the Kindle version for five dollars and forty nine cents right now. I'd recommend it at that price if you have a Kindle. Paperback's going to run you quite a bit more than that because you know it's not like a big budget release or anything. It's about thirty bucks on paperback, but uh, once in a while that price drops. But if you have a Kindle, definitely pick it up. And uh, he writes about the match itself and uh, Luger's debut and everything. We'll start off here with a quote from David Penzer. He says. I think I'm the only person who can say that I attended every single Nitro, says David Penzer, the longtime company ring announcer. When Lex Luger walked down that aisle, it sent a message to everyone that, hey, we're for real. And then he writes, in the main event, a predictable paint-by-numbers Hogan match ended with the Hulk-Luger confrontation. And in a clever move, director Craig Leathers cut to break shortly after the two stars collided. As the commercials rolled on TNT, however, the in-ring face-off almost got real. A relaxed Luger broke character as the cameras turned away, smiling at WCW's biggest star in a moment of satisfied tranquility. Wipe that grin off your face or I'll knock it off, threatened the Hulkster through gritted teeth. You're stealing money from me and my family right now.
3: Oh my
2: god. <laughs> Once the show resumed, the venerable Mean Gene Okerlund, a peerless on-screen interviewer beloved in wrestling circles, entered the fray to uncover some answers. Luger says I'm sick and tired of playing around with kids and that's a, you know, bashing the WWF, Luger announced over Okerlund's microphone alluding to the younger, less established roster of his most recent employer. Quote, I'm here to get it on with the big boys, and that means you, he looks at Hogan. A title match was announced for the following week, an intrepid move considering the bout's perceived importance. After the show, a concerned Lex attempted an apology for breaking character, but the old-school Hogan unceremoniously brushed him aside, bristling at the notion that someone would endanger Cave babe Nonetheless, Luger's dramatic entrance had given Bischoff the element of unpredictability, that the pre-nitro research study suggested he needed and i'll end it there so i had no idea that this happened obviously because it was during commercial but uh, that's pretty interesting your thoughts guys anyone ever heard that justin you ever heard that one
1: no i haven't i actually that makes me want to go back and kind of re-watch it and see if you can kind of see any of that real-life animosity.
2: Yeah, so you'd have to watch after they come back from the commercial to, to see if you can sense any animosity, Kyle. That
3: promo is
2: pretty heated. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, um, Hogan looks pissed, legit.
3: Yeah, and uh, I'll say this. There were—you <laughs> heard the cheers. <laughs> there were some people chanting for Luger when they went to break. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, there were a couple of anti-Hogan signs in the crowd, uh, too, during the match. I think there was like a Hogan is a wimp sign in the mm-hmm. front row. So I'm sure Hulk was was loving that. But, uh, no, that's a good story. That's a really good story. And you, you never know with Hulk sometimes. He, you know, what a worker he is. Yeah. But um, th- I thought this segment was absolutely tremendous. I mean, I don't know how well it held up. But if you watch it through 1995 eyes, it's really big time. Because, you know, setting up a title match. You know, here's Luger debuting in the promotion. Total surprise was on WWE TV the previous week. Here is, and now he's going to challenge Hulk Hogan the next week. That's huge. Mm -hmm. Um, I and it just it seemed kind of chaotic. It it was a total home run segment in my opinion. Yeah.
2: Well, the show did well in the ratings. Uh, Bischoff was, according to Guy Evans' book. Uh, Bischoff was predicting uh, somewhere close to a 2.5 rating, maybe, which would be about 2.3 million viewers, according to the Nielsen formula at the time. And he thought that could be within reach once the head-to-head competition started the next week. Um, This debut episode did a 2.9 rating, which is about 2.75 million viewers. And then the next week, September 11th, 95, the first head-to-head night, Raw was pre-taped. And Nitro won the battle 2.5 to 2.2. So a hot start for WCW Nitro. And one last thing. You know, it seems so
3: simple. But going off the air with a hot angle and teasing something for the next week and then delivering, doesn't that seem like common sense booking to you guys? Yeah, you would think so. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, well, WWE, like, doesn't do this very often, I feel. Mm. And even worse, you know, I just want to bring up what happened Monday as an example. Now, I know there may be some extenuating circumstances that could be leading to something. I'll touch on that. But, like, okay, so Rey Mysterio wins a number one contenders match uh, two weeks ago on Raw, okay? And he's going to challenge Seth Rollins. That match is hyped, you know, on social media throughout the week. Well, then they do a segment, you know, if you're tuning in, and they just take Rey out of the match, now, I know there's their reasons, you know, it could be leading to something big if, if you believe that she's, you know, like Brock, and it could be an entry point for Kane Velasquez to make his de- WWE debut. Mm-hmm. But, like, I don't see this enough on Raw, where there's a hot ending that leads to something that leads to something the following week. Yeah, I don't see that enough. Call me crazy, maybe maybe somebody's listening to this and can tweet me twenty thousand examples that have happened. It doesn't feel like they do it like this, and I'm not talking about like a guy making his debut out of nowhere. I'm not talking about something that big. I'm just talking about like a brawl to end the show, setting up a big match the following week. Mm-hmm. It it just it feels like it doesn't happen that much, and it's very, just to me, common sense
2: yeah wrestling 101 it yeah. should be so all in all I felt like this was it was a fun show to revisit it's an easy watch uh, I think it was timely with what's starting here with Wednesday nights yeah. and uh, again I, I always love talking these old wrestling shows with you guys we're going to be doing it again here in a couple of weeks there will be another edition of classics before the end of October we're probably going to be revisiting looking at the uh, the post I put up on Patreon for our supporters Likely looking at an old uh, WCW Halloween Havoc show, perhaps from the early 90s, uh, but we'll be doing that. Uh, if you're listening at this point, you are a Patreon supporter, so again, uh, thank, you, thank you, all of you, for your support, as always. Uh, you guys really make it worth doing these shows each and every month, and uh, you know all of our weekly shows as well, as well as uh, Top Rope Nation Extra, so if you guys enjoy what we do... Uh, give us a recommendation to one of your friends. We're doing the free T-shirt deal. I mean, this is the perfect time to get people to sign up. We'll send them that free T-shirt in the mail. They can check out this show. They can check out the upcoming uh, classic show, looking at back at uh, one of the Halloween Havoc shows from the 90s, and, of course, the whole archive. So, uh, I mean, that's the best way. I've said this before, but it truly is the best way to get Top Rope Nation out there, and especially our Patreon page. And we can pump this all the time on our general broadcast which which we always do you know i mean that that show gets most of our downloads the patreon group is a much smaller tight-knit group but uh uh if we're gonna if we're gonna grow with the patreon circle it's probably gonna come from recommendations from existing patrons so i know some of you have suggested it to your friends and we've had people sign up because they heard about it from your friends so uh, definitely appreciate that and you just get the word out there let them know that these classic shows are a lot of fun and uh send you some free merch in the process if uh, if they sign up. so uh, guys, any any closing thoughts here on Nitro or, or what we're going to be doing here in the future at all? throw it to Justin.
1: I don't think I've heard uh, you know, on a show, I haven't heard this much sniffling since uh, I watched Scarface it's been It's been <laughs> impressive.
3: Yeah. Sorry.
1: <laughs> I, I was just hey. thinking he was doing pretty good. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. I just had a I had to throw some shade out there. I yeah. I, I liked that he powered through.
3: Yes. Yes, yeah, I, I I apologize I was I was dying. There was a couple times I thought I was gonna cough, but um <laughs> I wanna sniffle right now now that you mentioned it. It's funny, it's a reaction. By the way, the Hogan Luger match the following week, for those interested, went to a DQ. Dungeon of Doom interference.
2: I guess it makes sense. Dungeon yes. of Doom. And
3: is there anything AEW can do that would come even remotely close to Lex Luger? Punk, that's it. And that ain't gonna happen. Yeah, that's I mean that's it, I would say. I and then I have one final bit of good news. Okay. The Washington Nationals came back and won.
2: Nice. Thank we are, you very, we
3: are, very much. The baseball world is done with the Milwaukee Brewers <laughs> and the plus-three run
2: differential for the year. I'm thinking, do we have any Patreon supporters in Wisconsin? Pretty sure not, so I think I think we're safe with that take there.
3: Yeah, And by the way, they'll be celebrating in Washington tomorrow night
2: in D.C. <laughs> yes, that's true. All right, guys. Well, hey, it's been a lot of fun. Always enjoy these shows, and uh want to throw the shout-out here to... All of our current supporters on Patreon, now if if you're listening in the future on demand, thank you. Uh, Sorry for not saying your name, but uh, everyone that signed up right now, thanks goes out to uh, Carlo, Derek, Forrest, Gabe. Uh, We've got Kyle, Liam, the Matt Men Pro Wrestling Podcasts, our supporters of us, Uh, Ryan, Sean and tim so thank you guys for your continued support of top rope nation as long as you guys keep supporting us we'll keep putting these shows out and like i said get the word out there and uh, we'll be back real soon with another edition of top rope nation classics and uh before we get to that one we'll be doing a top rope nation extra reviewing uh wwe hell in a cell here so uh all maybe three be matches able... yeah we <laughs> will be back real soon with that in the meantime take care Have a good week wherever you are. Peace.